Welcome to the Tabletop Sportcast. I'm your host, James Cast. Today is May 20th, 2023, and this is episode 117. Today, I sat down, I'm sitting down with Eric Simon. Eric is the creator of Off the Board Horse Racing. We're going to talk about his game and the history of horse racing, as well as take a look at not only today's race, the Preakness Stakes, but a look at the 2023 field in general. Uh, The interview takes about 55 minutes, a little longer than my typical episodes, and for that reason, we're going to bypass the traditional tabletop recap. Now, I will also put this out there. If you are a Patreon supporter, uh, Eric and I sat down for about 28, 30 minutes extra after this interview and discussed my horse racing game, um, how to do research, how to rate horses. Spent a good amount of time just talking about horse racing in general related to kind of the game design piece of it. And you can get that for free if you are a Patreon supporter. It's going to be a Patreon-only episode at this time. So head on over to patreon.com backslash tabletop sportcast where just $1 a month will help me offset some costs for the podcast and gives you great access to content like this post-interview chat with Eric Simon. So for those who are already supporting, it's there for you now. And if you would like to help support the podcast, you can get over there and get another episode. Uh, So think of it, even if nothing else, a dollar to go listen to 30 minutes extra with Eric Simon. Okay, before we have any more delays, let's get into the interview that I recorded just a couple days ago with Eric Simon. All right, I am sitting down with Eric Simon. Uh, Eric Simon is the creator of Off the Board Horse Racing, and we're going to talk a good amount about that game today. Um, Eric, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. All right. So, Eric, why don't you tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, like how you know, starting with like. How did you get involved in tabletop gaming? The way I remember it is I used to live in Renton, Washington, and we were down the street from a shopping mall. And there was a bookstore within this shopping mall called Heritage Bookstore. And I went in there one day, and I believe I found a paydirt game first. I know that they had Stratomatic there. They did not have APA. Um, And so my second purchase was Stratomatic Baseball. And then got Stratomatic football. And the funny thing about this Heritage Bookstore is this, it was kind of next to the high school. So this guy always thought kids were in there to rob him. So every time I would come in with my school bag to look at these games, he would want me to empty my bag or something like this. But he was the only business in town as far as getting these games. So I put up with it um, and eventually built up quite a collection. Oh, nice. Pay Dirt is a really fun game. Uh, I remember playing that. That was one of the early ones for me as well. And um, I had an uncle who was really into those games. Uh, he actually is the one who got me into some of these. Uh, I think the first game he ever bought me was Status Pro Baseball. And then he had a couple of games like Pay Dirt in his collection that we sat down and played as well. So, yeah, some those are some really good ones early on. Um 
And in addition to that, like, um, how did you get involved with like horse racing? Like, where did where did your love of horse racing start? Uh, that one I can pinpoint quite clearly. It was in 1979. My mom and stepdad had gone to Long Acres Racetrack in Renton, Washington. They came back and told us about it. And one of the things I remember from that conversation is they mentioned that you could bet to win, place, or show, and they explained what that meant. And when they mentioned the show bet, I said, oh, this, this sounds easy. You know, uh, how can you not make money at this thing? Uh, and I learned why it wasn't so easy. But they really did ignite the, the interest in me. Quite honestly, I got into math because of horse racing because I really got into the handicapping side initially. Um, I used to love going to Long Acres. I didn't really, I hadn't been watching horse racing on the national scene. So, for instance, the first APA saddle racing game I got was the 1980 version with Affirmed and Alidar. And I didn't know Affirmed had won the Triple Crown. I didn't know anything about that. So the first Triple Crown races I watched were in 1980 when Genuine Risk won the Derby. Um, and then the next year I rooted for Pleasant Colony, who, was, who raced in 1981 and won the kentucky derby and the preakness and then failed in the belmont mm. and then i basically continued on with my interest in horse racing all through the 80s uh 1989 was a bit of a renaissance year with um easy goer and um sunday silence and then i i kind of stayed in touch a little bit in the 90s but a little less so because i i was an older college student i didn't start college till i was 23 mm. and it was right around that time so i was i was really focused on my studies at that point but um i've my interest in horse racing goes way back uh i was making horse racing games and riding horses from an early age so i have a lot of experience in that area that's cool i remember early on like um now and and i'm like i've said this before but i'm kind of like only on a fringe fan of like horse racing but um, growing up, I was running track and field. So anything that involves like, you know, racing, like I I have like an interest in out of the gate. Um, so as you were getting into horse racing, right, like uh, Triple Crown r winners weren't happening, right? Like it, it took a while after, like I, I feel like it was most of the 80s we went without a Triple Crown winner, right? That is correct. Yeah. Uh, the the funny thing is, when we got into horse racing, obviously horse racing had its golden ages in the 40s, 50s, 60s, certainly the late 70s, when you had Secretariat, Seattle Slew, and Affirmed all winning triple crowns. The 80s, basically the Derby was a muddle every year. They started to really draw those big fields. And horse racing at the time was the number one spectator sport in America. That's what's so sad. It is completely on the fringe at this point. Yeah. That is true. That is true. Um, and we'll probably talk a little bit about that more. So um, so you got into the handicapping, and and then you, you mentioned, like, you started doing some things with some games. So what was your earliest entry into, like, game design? Uh, I'll, I'll tackle that in two ways because I, I want to go back a little bit. So okay. when when I was going to middle school – and I, of course, at this point, I was I, I was born in 1967, so I was 12 in 1979. So I'm going to middle school, and back then, we had one computer that we got to use in computer science, and I forget if it was a you know a VAX or what exactly it was, but it was a math class where we could use the computer, 
And that's all I did. I would go in there basically writing horse racing stuff, like handicapping stuff at the time. And wasn't learning all that much in that in the class because I was so consumed by writing this program. But as far as you know, writing stuff on a computer myself, that happened when my dad bought my brother and I I'm a twin. So my dad bought my brother and I a Vic twenty. And the first thing I did was I created a horse racing game. In fact, I, I did this in a, a typing class at school. It was one of those pet computers, and I somehow was able to get into BASIC. And then I basically did a loop of 1 through 10, and then I moved them forward along the x-axis some number of spaces. And I had a whole bunch of kids around me predicting which horse was going to win. <laughs> and so from there, I basically took that same concept and actually started raiding horses. Uh, very oblivious to the the, uh, the notion of variance and stuff like that. Like this is where a lot of these horse races, horse racing games go wrong. Appa kind of has this problem. When you're dealing with sums of numbers, you tend to get a normally normal distribution, but those tails can be really, really wide. Mm. And with great horses, you don't want that. They tend to be pretty consistent. Now, Secretariat would go to where he was extraordinary, and then he would drop back a little. But with Appa, it's more like there's kind of this middle point where he can be really bad or he can be really, really great. <laughs> um, and, and I didn't know that as a kid. So my horse racing game used random numbers adding to some base number. And those random numbers had variants I wasn't controlling for. So the game wasn't wildly realistic, as I recall. Um, but that was the first real effort I made. And then one of the things I saw, and I, I think you'll find this interesting, and we'll probably talk about it later, is in terms of rating horses, how little data was available at the time. And that's still kind of true, because what you get is you have to use, at the time, you have to use the American Racing Manual that was put out by Daily Racing Forum. It's about a thousand page book. I've got like 36 of them. Mm. And they basically have every horse's record and earnings. That's it. If you're lucky, you're gonna find some charts so you can kind of determine what kind of competition they raced against. But one of the fortuitous things about when I raided my first horses, which was like 1982, is it was right after the Arlington Million, which really smashed kind of the linearity you would see in purses where you'd start at a claiming race and allowance race offered a little more money, stakes races, low-end stakes races, a little more, and then graded stakes races offered the most. But at the time, I want to say the Derby was probably worth 250000 I'm guessing, so, so don't take this to the bank. But that was like the total purse. And then you got this Arlington Million, which is worth a million. They usually take about 60% goes to the winner. So one race is giving you 600000 to win it. The other's giving you 250000 And if all you have to do to rate horses is from their record and from their earnings, you would tend to really put a lot of weight into a horse that was basically earning $600,000 per start versus one that isn't. And so I had to deal with that, and I wound up using a ranking system, which kind of destroyed the, these huge differences that we were starting to see once that race came about. Wow. Okay. That's pretty cool. I remember trying to work with my brothers at one point of making, um, I want to say it was on like the Commodore 64. We were trying to create a horse racing game. Um, and we were trying to do like basic animation, you know, like pixelated animation was what we were going after in that one. Um, but that's pretty cool that, like, it was computer programming, in a sense, that kind of led you into, like, your first, like, game design. So, nice. 
Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about your game off the board. Um, how did the game come about? Like, what were you really going after as a game designer? So you and I have talked about this before, and I've seen your game, which I found really interesting because it was so much like what I had kind of been developing. So I started out, and I was going to make a very advanced game. Uh, obviously, I would rate fewer horses, but they'd all have more characteristics. And that particular game started out like I thought I would use charge like APA. And then I thought, well, why am I charting where the horse is on a piece of paper while I've got a game board where I'm showing where they're at? So I kind of scrapped that. And you're probably familiar with Win, Place, and Show, which mm-hmm. you roll a dice, you move the horse in so many spaces. So all the tracking's happening on the track, which is what I wanted. So the game I created or this more complex game I was working on, was was doing all that. I pretty much come up with the rating system I was going to use. I come up with the track. Um, but it was going to be a lot of work still, even though I accomplished quite a bit. And then I'm actually driving with my family to Moab. My cousin's driving. I'm sitting in the car, and I thought, I should make something really simple that I can do in a day or two, which I don't know about you, but every time I start a project like this, I think, oh, it'll take a day or two, yeah. <laughs> which is which is not true. So I, I spent I spent most of that trip kind of charting stuff out. I, I'm not giving away any secrets to say that if you really look at my game, it's a probability game. There's all these dice rolls that if you actually figure out the probability of rolling any one of them, you know what the probability of a horse advancing on each turn is. Um, so so I thought that's a simple system. It didn't involve distances, which is unfortunate. I think. Games really benefit from having that part added to it. And I've created systems where there's a generic rating I give horses, and then there's a more specific rating, um, which is kind of where you just kind of look at what distances did they run. If the lo- shortest it ever the horse ever ran was five furlongs, we say he can run five furlongs. If the longest he ever ran is seven, we say that's it. He's a pure sprinter. But maybe he can run five furlongs up to a mile and an eighth. Stuff like that. And so, so I, I I had rating systems for that, but I'm rating a thousand or twelve hundred horses as a general rule. When you look at the American racing manuals, which I need to rely on for basically every season pre two thousand, I kind of have to limit how I create this game based on the data I actually have to use. And and what what I find with the daily or the American racing manuals is that. They always have the record of the horse, and they always have the earnings. They sometimes have charts. Sometimes they don't. Some of the old manuals don't have the sex of the horse, which you can kind of figure out. Like if a horse is running in a race for fillies, you assume it's a filly. But when you're racing 1,200 horses, I might be able to figure out 40 of them at best. It's like this data really does not exist. And if you go to Equibase... Dot com, which I recommend to everyone. It's a fantastic site. And if you're rating horses from 2000 to today, plenty of data there. But if you try to look for horses from the 40s, like I tried to look up Sir Barton, who, quite honestly, he raced in 1919. So, But, but he, he comes up, but nothing. No record, nothing. So you just can't find a lot of these horses. And so I needed a game that I could rate a lot of horses. I wanted to rate all these seasons particularly the 80s and the 70s that I grew up with. But there are some really great old seasons, too, that we, we can talk about in a bit. Um, but, but So that limited the design. I wanted a board like nobody's business. Like when you and I talked and I saw your board, I thought that's exactly what I want. 
but but as I thought about it, I thought, okay, I'm going to be tracking certain things on paper. I have to write down who's running, what the ratings is, and then I'm going to go to the board. So I'm just kind of creating more work. So in the end, I said I'm all going to put it on what I what I call a race action sheet. It's not as immersive as as like what you've got, and and there's several reasons why yours is more immersive. But one of them is you got a horse track, which is a nice start. Um, so I, I am developing developing a computer version of the game. I already sketched out the screen, uh, and it will have a track, and it will have it's got a pretty cool tote board, and um, I actually have some kind of pixelated numbers for odds that I hope I can I can use. I'm, I'm actually going to do it in, in in MATLAB, which is basically a scientific programming language that I use at work. And I, I want to do it in MATLAB because nobody does this sort of stuff in MATLAB. It's mm. you'll never you'll never see GUIs for this sort of stuff. And I just thought it would be cool to create a bunch of games with GUIs. So I created a quiz game. I've already created another horse racing game with it. And then I'll do this one. Um, but there are some limitations to how, you know, it's not like, obviously the web gives you all the, you know, you can do anything you want with the GUI with the web. This is more that battleship gray and you kind of have to work around it. Okay. But, um, but I'm anxious to get that done because that will add that element of immersion that I think is missing now. And I, I've run like four season simulations. I do everything on the computer. I actually... When I ran the 2023 Derby to post on the Sports Sim website, I realized how onerous it is to do all those margins when you got 20 horses in there. It was, it was insane. And I just get that done for me. I just click start, it runs 10 races, and it prints me out 10 charts. And I just uh, go from there. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, but, having. Go ahead. Oh, I was just to say, getting back to your question, it's like. I wasn't real specific to say that when you actually look at what I'm trying to rate, that limited me right off the bat. It's like I obviously can't use pace ratings or anything else that I might be able to pull for modern seasons. For example, if I go to Equibase, I can pull every horse's record with a keystroke. And then I can export these all the files. It happens. I can do it in 30 minutes where I can pretty much get all the horses I'm going to rate. Um and if I want to get really specific, I can pull up a chart for every horse's race. I can go into his, you know, the page made for that horse, and I can look at every one of his races to see where he was competing, what he was competing in. I can then click on the chart so I can tell, is he a front runner? Does he run from the middle of the pack? How is he on off tracks? I will say all of this stuff is kind of a guess. There is no science to determining if a horse is good on an off track because you may look at... A series of let's say four good performances in allowance races now he runs in the stakes race in grade one company runs 11th on the mud well did he run 11th because he was against horses he simply couldn't compete with or was it because of the mud was it because of the pace was it because he was you know stuck behind horses so one of the things i tell people when they ask about ratings is like just kind of go above average below average average for things that are simply not scientific it's not like you're taking a shortcut. There, there is no better way, really. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that, and um, and you're right. Like in most cases, those kind of three basic categories that can almost be distributed on like the bell curve. Like that's really a good way to like approach a lot of it. Is to just say like, 
above average, below average, average, right? I think that's a, you know, that can be a really nice, simplistic approach to take for rating things, especially when, to your point, there's not a lot of data available, you know? So the, the other thing I tell people is you, you should play into public perception. Like, I could come up with a game that's more realistic because it actually is based on real evidence. But what people think, like Michael Jordan is a clutch player, going now into horse racing, Reva Ridge, who came the year before secretary, supposedly couldn't stand up in the mud. So you would rate him poor on an off track, even though it may not have been true. Right. It's, it's just what folks say. And, and so, But I'm a big believer in that because that to, to, to people is realistic. If, if I try to get clever, and here's one way you could get clever, is when Secretariat set his record in the Belmont Stakes, they set eight track records at Belmont Park that year. That track was lightning fast. Mm-hmm. They also ran on surfaces that were not as deep as they are now. So his time in that race probably was somewhat manufactured because they used to want to create fast times for those races. And quite honestly, if you go back now to the Derby where he set the record, he goes 159-2 and two in the record. The second best time was by Monarcos, who is by no means a great horse. In fact, most people probably haven't heard of him. But he ran at 159 and four fifths um, in, when was that, 2001. Um, Point Gibbon was in the race and fell off the pace. It was a super fast pace. Um, so anyway, mm. play into people's perceptions. That's a good point. Good point. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm... I'm kind of glad to hear you talk about like making the game into like a computer game a little bit because um, as I was playing it and working with the race action sheet, like that was a lot of the thoughts I was having is like, oh, this could be really good just as like built into like a computer program because a lot of what has to happen um, would work really well in that space and kind of like watching the race unfold like in a computer. So yes. it'd be really interesting to see how that comes about. I like that. I w- the hearing that <laughs> and a person could also basically say who, which horse had the lead each uh at each segment because of the way that game was designed you can't really get margins for intermediate spots it just doesn't make sense the margins clearly were an add-on and i basically played around with some numbers simulated a whole bunch of races to see if i was happy with them which honestly i'm not <laughs> um there's, there's, here's the problem. Like, take the Derby, twenty horses. They can finish in basically nine different spots. They can not move at all, or they can move one through eight. And so you're bound to get these ties. And the moment you get these ties, you get too many photos. Horse racing doesn't have that many photos. I mean, they do. You'll definitely see it down in the tenth and eleventh place, but generally you're not going to see that. And so what happens is my margins start to shrink in these big fields which they do exactly the opposite. And I, I made some minor changes to the rules to deal with it, but the only way to deal with it is to take a photo and say, okay, it's not just a nose, head, and a neck. It's one length, three quarters, a half, neck, nose, head. And I'm not, mm. I don't want to do that because like, I'm calling it a photo. It's not a photo if you lead by a length, or three quarters, or a half. So I live with it. And I can say overall, when I look at my season results, and I've actually posted some of the books I've written after a season, like for 77 and for 2000, 2000 I think. And they're like 140-page books where I talk about each horse. The past performances generally look pretty good for each horse. Okay. 
but you know, I I have my own complaints about the game because I know it very well. <laughs> <laughs> Toughest critic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what were some of the elements of a race that you really wanted to make sure came through um, in your design? At least the sense of a track that you're actually moving spaces. I have seen games, and I don't want to be critical, but they they really do feel like math exercises, which. I was a math major, so I should like them. But I, I really I, I don't like them in games. I think when games add too much math. And so what I've done is my odds, they're okay, but they're not mathematically tight. Uh, the payoffs are always the same. Like if you're 7 to 2, you will pay the same amount of money every time you're 7 to 2. That's not the way it works. Uh, I can tell you that when you do that on a computer, and I'm, I'm probably going to add this as an option in the game, but I kind of want it to be a true reflection of the board game. So with the computer, what I do is I will simulate the race, let's say anywhere from 200 to 500 times. I don't want to go too many. I want to loosely get those horses' probabilities, but I don't want them to be completely accurate. I want there to be just some play in them. Mm. And I've done that with my past games. Those odds are great. The payoffs are great. And then I do you know, exactus, trifectus, quinellas, all of that stuff works on a computer and it's all happening behind the scenes. But if you had to do it, if we made the user do it, and I, I, they did this with APA. So APA's odds, the way they are, are not good. And so I saw in one of their forums, a guy came up with an alternative approach and I don't remember his name, but it was, it was mathematically correct. It's how you calculate odds. But who wants to do it? Right. It's it's actually not fun to cut, and I could have done that with my game and said calculate them. But but and the other thing you get with these games, and this would be true of Appa, is I give these horses ratings. Those are not tightly correlated to their winning percentages. All I could ever do with that is simulate that stuff out and kind of see about what, how these horses do. And of course, it depends who you're racing against. If you've got Secretariat in there and a bunch of bad horses you're still not going to finish first because he's probably going to win the race. So it, it, so much of that stuff is, and it goes back to your question earlier about, you know, what kind of what do you have to do to design the game and what trade-offs are there? And I made a number of trade-offs to make things easy, and I'm happy with where it's at, even though I sometimes get irked by my Kentucky Derby margins in particular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think you hit it on the spot, too. Like, um, the thing that I enjoyed the most playing your game is the lack of the math, right? Like, uh, I've played a couple of the old horse racing games, probably some of the ones you're referring to as well, that it's like, and I, you know, I I taught math, so, like, I like math as well, but you're right. Like, I don't want to do it during a game, and, and it just bogs down the whole thing when everything becomes, like, that turn became a math calculation. Like that straightaway became a math calculation. And in yours, um, setting it up was a little bit just making sure that I had all the numbers written out and all that kind of stuff. But once I got into the actual race, like I could feel the drama a little bit because it was unfolding pretty quickly. And it was like, oh, that guy missed his role. <laughs> like he's going to fall off the pace a little bit. And these guys are still in the like lead pack here. So um, you totally like get that that feeling because you're not spending the whole time doing math calculations. So yeah, I think, yeah. I think you did that well. And I, I have created a program that 
creates those race action sheets for you, fills out all the horses' roles. Um, I can pretty much take it on one of the seasons I finish, and my I run like 1,200 races in these seasons, and then I just run that. It will create 1,200 of those race action sheets. Wow. Because, because it's it's funny that you, that you mentioned that, because like when I do have to do it myself, I find even that too much. It's like, nah, I don't want to. <laughs> this, this needs to be automated. <laughs> yeah, good point. And uh, and it's a it's a major benefit. Like you're, you know, there's a few game designers out there who are trying to hit the board game market, but also at the same time realizing like if I can get the computer sim going, um, I'm gonna dial in my ratings that much quicker too, right? Because playtesting becomes super easy now too. That that is an excellent point. You really do need to do that. My game's so simple that the simulator I created is precisely accurate. When I simulated Appa, it was jet, it was accurate in terms of how the horses moved, but I had to make a decision on turns, and I didn't want to I didn't want to get too complex. So I basically said every horse. When it enters the turn, you got to get into one of those first three lanes. So I said, you know, the first three horses are fine. They don't do anything. Every other horse gets into lane three. As crazy as that is, it's somewhat optimal in not using as many points as you would otherwise. Because I see people playing the game, and they'll take a horse and move them to the rail. <laughs> that, ha- that has limited utility. If somehow that horse is on the lead, and he gets to dictate where he goes next, that's the advantage. Otherwise, you wasted a lot of points to get there. So anyway, on my simulator, they all go to lane three, and then at the last turn, they all go back to their original lanes, and it it avoids any conflicts, and I'm able to simulate stuff. I, and, and quite honestly, those deductions is the first thing I do. It doesn't really... I, I don't really go in order. I just say, deduct this many points from them because they're going to have to make these moves throughout the race, and now run the race. <laughs> so... <laughs> Interesting. I like that. Um, so, what seasons have stood out to you uh, as we start to look at like the history of horse racing? Like, what are the, some of the seasons that you kind of looked at and said, "That's kind of a must-have for me. I have to go after that one if I'm going to design a game." Okay, I have. I actually wrote a big list for this, okay. <laughs> so I can so I can not so I can remember it. Um, so, my. My really golden year that I wanted to do for years was 1978. That same set I got an app and didn't realize what a special year that was. And here's why I say it's special. So you had Affirmed winning the Triple Crown in, quite honestly, one of the more exciting Triple Crowns we've seen. Mm. That his, his battle with Alidor, with Alidor finishing second in every race, is very special. Sunday Silence and Easy Gore did that a little. Their Preakness was probably more interesting because it was down the stretch and Sunday Silence prevailed by a head. But That's right. overall, that was, a, that was a better triple crown, and those were great horses. Affirmed was coming from the west where he was just beating everybody with ease. Alidar was coming from the east where he was beating everybody with ease, and they met for this amazing triple crown. But at the same time, you had Seattle Slough as an older horse. Forgo was still racing. He only made a couple starts that year, I think. Um, oh, Spectacular Bid was a two-year-old. And Spectacular Bid should have been a Triple Crown winner, no doubt about it. So so he was great. Um, the turf division was pretty deep. They had Mac Diarmetta, who had a super good record. Tiller had a really good record. So it was, it was just this year where the top performers were really, really spectacular. Mm. And... 
I actually did finish that replay just recently. And oh. Affirm did win the Triple Crown. He won the Belmont by nine lengths. So it was a lot easier in, in my replay. Um, so, so that, so that was the golden year. I'm kind of, I'm kind of now wanting to move on to the, the eighties, but I'm trying to do things in order. So Mm -hmm. I did 77, I'll do 78, I'll do 79. I'm working on the 1920 season, which is fascinating because those times were so slow. The tracks were so much different than they are today. The horses, they were often named after a person. So the names were very different. (laughs) <laughs> and it, it's kind of interesting to go back in history like that. Yeah. Um, and the one thing I would recommend to you and your listeners is that if they are interested in horse racing history, I've mentioned Equibase.com. That's the go-to. The American Racing Manuals you can buy online. Uh, don't pay too much for them. I waited. I was. I wanted to get eighty-nine because I really wanted the Easy Gore Sunday Silence, and I saw it for one hundred and thirty-five dollars, and I thought I could buy that. But I'm not going to. And then eventually, I think I got it for thirty. So I, oh, I wow. try. I try to pay right around thirty-five or less for these. They're just they're just not worth paying too much money for. Uh, but the other place you can go to, it's called DRF Archives. And when you go into that, what you get is you get snippets of the daily racing forum that shows past performances, charts. It would be very hard to rate a year off of that because you don't have a list. You just have past performances at tracks that may not be featuring good horses. But historically, once I rated my 1920 horses, going back was fun because I could basically pick out a race, run the horses that ran in it for the most part. Uh, I would learn about the jockeys, the track conditions, hmm. all that stuff. It's Historically, it's been kind of a fun dive for me. Uh, but getting back to the point, let's see. So I own, like I said, about 36 of these American racing manuals. So I own 1946. That's the year Assault won the Triple Crown. So that's something I want to do. 47 and 48, those are the two years that Citation ran first as a juvenile in 47. And then as a three-year-old in 48. Mm. And people don't recognize what a great horse. He was 27 of 29 during those two seasons. Wow. He lost just once each year. So I want to say, and I could be wrong about this. Um, he might have been 19 of 20 in, in uh, 1948 when he won the Triple Crown. So wow. pe- people, people talk a lot about Secretariat. Secretariat lost three times. Yeah. Um, citation, his overall record's not that good because they ran him as an older horse when he was hurt. And so he's pretty, he's pretty unimpressive overall. I, I, I'm going to throw out a number that I don't think is right. Let's say he was 27 of 44 or something like that. Like, Oh, wow. It's just, just not good in, in the realm of great horses. Um, moving forward, 1953, Native Dancer lost the Derby. Um, his only loss of the year, he was 9 to 10. And he didn't even win Horse of the Year because Tom Fool was 10 for 10 that year. So, so that's a, a fun historical year. Wow. 50, 55 featured swaps in Nashua. 1957, um, according to many, consider, they consider that to be the best crop of three-year-olds ever. And that had Iron Liege winning the Derby. And then you had Gallant Man, Roundtable, Bold Ruler. They were all there. Um, 67 is the year of my birth. And that's uh, Damascus, Buck Pastor, and Dr. Fager. They had a, one of the most famous races in racing history in the Woodward that year. Um, 
And I'm actually currently riding horses for 73. I'm a little less excited about that season than most people would be. Um, part of the issue you get is, uh, obviously with my game, there isn't really... The top performance is that you go eight spaces. Secretariat, if you compare him record-wise to Spectacular Bid or to Affirmed or to Seattle Slough, he's got the worst record of all of them. So somehow I've got to get him to lose the right races and <laughs> and win the right races. So I normally have a you know I have a rating system I generally use. I don't often simulate uh the results to to tweak things because I don't want to know those. I don't want to see them basically because I want to run it, you know. I'm going to do it with 73. I'm gonna, because he did lose to older horses. So he lost to prove out an onion and uh Affirmed. I think he only faced older horses once, and I think C- Seattle Slough faced older horses. Oh, I don't think he felt fa- no. Seattle Slough didn't face older horses at all in '77. I don't believe. Oh wow! So, so you got to give Secretary a bit of a break on the fact that he did lose to older ha- horses, and then he lost to Angle Light, who was far inferior to him in the Wood Memorial. Mm. So, okay. Yeah, and I know like we've touched base about this too. Like uh, probably the other drawback to seventy three is, you know, replicating that race is almost an impossibility. So like, <laughs> Here, here's here's one thing I would say though, because when I talk to you, it's certainly not possible with my game. Like, well, I sh- I should say it's not possible. I we could figure out since we're both math guys, we could figure out the exact probability of him doing it, and I'm guessing it's really, really, really low. Uh, <laughs> right. But but if you add distance ratings, an argument can be made that those other horses were fairly mediocre at twelve furlongs. Secretary was good. You can't make him too good because he lost to prove out at a mile and a half later in the year in a time that was nearly two seconds slower. So my personal assessment of great horses is Secretariat on his day was unbeatable at 10 and 12 furlongs. I do think he was susceptible at a mile and eighth, even though he set the world record there. A spectacular bid was wildly fast as a four-year-old in 1980. Um, he ran a mile and a quarter in 157 and four. So he was a lot faster wow. than Secretariat. Um, I do want to say this quickly with the, on that point though a lot of people don't recognize how much the track matters they always run fast at hollywood park santa anita and they were always really slow at a track called calder in miami because they had an artificial surface at the time so mm. so those times are slow churchill downs his times are generally you know 202 203 for the derby but mostly 202 and, and so and change they've been a little faster lately but mm. That was another thing APA couldn't do. You could run the Kentucky Derby, and you could get a 158. Or with APA, heck, you could get a 154 for a mile and a quarter. <laughs> um, I, I did that when I simulated them. I got a lot of that. But oh, interesting. You can you can fix that somewhat by saying, hey, this track is slow, and you can add some time amount or subtract or make the time standard different, um, which is what I do in my game because I'm a stickler for that sort of thing. I just couldn't imagine seeing them run a mile and an eighth in 145 at Aqueduct. You know, it just doesn't happen. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Do you ever see, I, I, you've alluded to this a little bit, I think, but uh, I'm going to ask the question anyways, but do you ever see at, off the board becoming more of a kind of printed box game? Um 
or do you think like the freeware approach that you've taken is is really intentional in in how you're going about it right now? Yeah, I definitely want to give things away for free because <laughs> we we're in this community, and we're all m- many of us are the same age. We had the same experiences. Um, in some ways, we all like each other because. We had those experiences, and let's face it, we're better than everyone else who didn't have those. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I, I I thought I don't want it. There's number one, so we got the community which is small, and then you got the those within the community who like horse racing, which is really small. And I just don't want to make money off those folks. I make this stuff for myself, and I think well. Why not give it away? Now, and I will say that I do make it for myself. So I'm going to rate the seasons I want to rate kind of in the order I want to do it. And then I'm willing to give away all of them. But it just doesn't make sense to charge. There's a part of me that wants to talk to someone in the community to help me rate these horses. Because it's these old seasons, which are the only ones I really like. I mean, I, I, I like some of the modern ones, but I'm mostly into these old ones. And they take forever because it's all manual. There's no me pushing buttons on Equibase and getting a big listing. Um, and maybe you can help me. Are, are you? Do you work in computers? Because I get the sense from the way you talk with uh, the software uh, management that you actually seem to be responsible for that you're in that field. I'm actually not. Um, I, I do, uh, you know, it may not come as a shock to anybody, but I do like a lot of process management. Um, I, I manage like an agile team. Uh, so I have a team that does a lot of stuff and like, I'll talk with them about coding in Python and, uh, working with a lot of data, but I don't personally do it myself as much. Okay. Um, Okay. Going back to what you were saying earlier, like I, when I was in fifth grade, um, I was part of a group that they would ship to the high school so we could spend some time in the computer lab. And like, as a fifth grader, I was starting to learn like basic and, and doing stuff and, I think the first game I ever created was a, a bowling game, like, you know, and you, in basic and just like working in that. So I had a chance to do some of the like coding stuff, uh, you know, like uh, early on working with like, um, I'll date myself here, but working with languages like Pascal and stuff like that. So, and Fortran uh, early on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they made me take Fortran in college. And then I, I went to aerospace when I graduated. And be damned if they're not using Fortran and Ada. And <laughs> so it, it actually it had its uses. Uh, the reason I asked that is, so one of the things I tried, so Equibase, if I can, so one of the things I'm doing now, I did this for 78, is I, I come up with a list of horses and then I type that horse into Equibase and I get his entire career record. And then I save that as an HTML page, which I then later parse. What I tried to do once was create a scraper that basically sent a URL to Equibase, and, and, and I didn't have horse names. They, they have some number, and I had no idea how the numbers are. So I was random, or I was not randomly. I was just going to make up numbers, and I was going to send like a million to them. <laughs> and they cottoned on to me after like three attempts. They said, is this a bot? (laughs) (laughs) So it was the only easy way I could think of doing this because that is the process now is uh, I can pull the records from the American Racing Manual if I want to. But by grabbing it the way I do, I then get 
basically all, everything's automated, so there's no typos. But it also tells me where each horse ran, because I'm I'm a I'm a real stickler when it comes to running my replays. Mm. That Alley Door had better be running in the east, and a firm's got to be running in the west. And so I I can do that with this system because it tells me where they raced, and I can schedule them in that race. But it takes. Oh God! It's going to take days for me to get because I got like a list of eleven, eleven hundred for nineteen seventy three, and um, wow! I have to type each one of those names into a box, hit return, wait for it to load, right click to say save as. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, painful uh, compared to what you were doing, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really answer your question. I actually can see myself making a board game. Just to have it, uh, I was actually looking at it here the other day because I'd want to take all those charts that are sitting in the instructions mm-hmm. and kind of have them all available quickly. Um, and we'll see about that. I, I have been printing those into books using Lulu, which is what we use for Sports Sim Magazine. Yeah, they turn out great. They're not at all expensive. In fact, I buy the Sports Sim Magazine. I get it free as a PDF or. I forget what ST calls me, associate editor or contributing editor. I'm something. <laughs> I'm a terrible editor. No one should ever call me an editor. I make so many mistakes when I write. And if I don't look back at it, I look at it and think, what the heck is this? Because I, I, I'm not always linear in the way I write things. But anyway, um, I always buy the magazine because I love printed versions. And then I'll, I'll, I'll add some of my books that I uh, have put together so that I, the shipping is as cheap as I can get it. Oh, so that's nice. what, that's what I do every time I order. I grab the magazine. So very good. Okay, so let's talk about the current season here. And what did you think of the Kentucky Derby? I thought two fills should have won, so I could have won about a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, it was kind of funny because my daughter was playing softball, so I'm at her softball game. I had the Naira bets on my phone. I called my brother. I said, okay, who you got for the derby? I said, I really haven't looked at it. And he said two fills. I said, okay, great. So I bet two fills to win. I put some place money on him. And somehow, and I made a number of bets. There were some exactas and other combinations in there. And somehow I won $17, uh, which is by no means a lot, but it – it was better than losing money because I did not have Mage in any of those comp- combinations. Oh. Um, I, I thought uh, Mage is interesting. Definitely had to come from far off the pace. The thing is, the pace was really fast. Mm. Uh, the last time, this is not to say, the, I, I, I think last year's pace was fast too, but my burning recollection of a fast pace was the 2001 Derby, that Monarco's one that I told you about earlier. Mm. And Point Given was really a horse in the um, same class as kind of an affirmed like he should have been a triple crown winner he got burned up by that pace finished fifth I think and then wound up winning the Preakness in the uh, the um, Belmont but in, in Mage's case kind of the same deal super fast pace he's last or 16th yeah. so I guess not last but he's nine lengths off the pace so in horse racing terms uh, they generally say a fifth of a second is a length. It's actually more like a sixth of a second is a length. But let's let's go with that. The fifth of a second math, and so he's basically two seconds off that pace, which is a pretty standard pace at that point. 
So he did kind of benefit from being off the pace. It's not like he was when like Gato del Sol came off the pace and he was back like 16 or 17 or 18 lengths. He was nine lengths is fairly close up. So he didn't come from really far back position wise. He did. So my thought for um, him moving forward in terms of, you know, is he a triple crown winner or is he going to win the Preakness is uh, I don't see him as a triple crown winner, but I would say that about just about anyone. Because we've seen, I mentioned Native Dancer in 53 somehow managed to lose the Derby. Spectacular Bid did not win the Triple Crown. These were really good horses. Mage is not not in that category. I also think the pace in the Preakness is, if if he runs that same race, he may be too far back. On the same token... He does show record, you know, in his past performances that he can be closer to the pace. I think he'll need to do that. Uh, it's not a great field by any means. He certainly should be the favorite. I would look elsewhere because I'd be looking for a little bigger price. So I, I'd, I'd look for National Treasure. That horse is trained by Baffert, who might have an axe to grind. Um, <laughs> right. Definitely, definitely fast. He's definitely gonna be. He should affect the pace. I like um, First Mission. He's getting a lot of buzz. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not giving you these these great big long shots, uh, but that's probably the direction that I'll go with this race. Yeah. I think first mission at this point is the favorite, but it's close at the top couple horses there. So, um, yeah, interesting. And how much, like, you know, again, fringe watcher for some to some degree, but... Um, one of the storylines that I was like really intrigued by because I didn't know what it was about was the jockey aboard mage. Like, any insight into that? Like, I, I understand like this was like a guy who like I've, I, obviously it was his first Derby win, right? Um, do you know anything about that storyline at all? Yeah, uh, Castellano has won big races. He's he's won the Breeders' okay. Cup Classic. He, um, you know that. Maybe don't quote me on this. I think we've seen 20 horse fields more consistently in the modern era, certainly than we did in the 70s. That I can state with confidence. And for at least part of the 80s, um, although you were getting big fields back then. But, you know, these guys might show up 10 times and they've got to be 20 horses and they may not have the best horse. So we've seen long losing streaks among jockeys. Uh, Pletcher's not done all that well, percentage-wise winning. There's there's trainers that have struggled, not Baffert. You know, Baffert's had some good luck and maybe other sorts of help to win those races. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> he is a good trainer. It's like yeah. he, defi- he definitely works his horses hard, and he had come close before mm. with point given. That was one of them. In fact, at some point, because when I, I ran my 2001 replay and I, I mentioned – where he said Point Gibbon was probably his best chance to win the, the Triple Crown. Mm. And he said that whenever Point Gibbon went into the Hall of Fame, which was before um, American Pharaoh and Justify. So he wasn't he hadn't won him yet, but he thought that was that was it. That was his chance. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, let's see. Um, and is the Derby your favorite race of the of the racing season? Yeah. Um, my interest in horse racing has waned a little bit. Mm. It was, it seemed like it was a lot more fun in the eighties. Uh, 
and in fact, back then, of course, you were often getting a different winner of every Triple Crown race, but there was a little more magic to it, it seemed like. I, I do think that the money in horse racing is problematic, and it's, it definitely has changed the game. Now, this happened before. In 1985, spend a buck, wins the Kentucky Derby easily on the lead. He wins by about five lengths. And then he had come into that race off of a race at Garden State Park. And rather than try to name it and get it wrong, I'm going to call it a race at Garden State Park. It was a, it was a, it was a stakes race, but it was, it was part of either two or three races that Garden State was bundling together and offering a big bonus for. So Spendabuck skips the Preakness to go run and win. I'm pretty sure he did win the bonus. And there, then there was this, all this concern about, hey, we can't have this happen. So they started to offer a, an additional... Um, a prize for basically competing in all three races. So there's a point system. If you competed in all three races and you had the most points, you got a million dollars. And it might have been sponsored by Budweiser. I don't remember. Okay. But it was, it was something like that where they were trying to drum up interest in the race. Um, just today, I was listening to a podcast about horse racing. And Randy Moss, who's been in horse racing for a long time, works with Andy Beyer went back to the old idea that we need to give these horses more time between races. Mm. So we should go four weeks from the Derby to the Preakness and then five weeks to the Belmont, which I think is nonsense. One of the things I saw in the 1920 season, which would horrify people today, is that the horse that ran the most of the horses I rated made 73 starts. And then it was 64. And then it was 53. And about every horse ran more than 20 starts. And they were running a very short turnarounds. And, and they were doing fine. So much of this stuff gets thrown out there, like a lot of stuff that gets said in society today in general, where there's absolutely no evidence. Mm. In fact, one of the guys, as they're considering this proposal by, by Moss, and this was on a different program, but it was the same proposal. He said, well, I gave a lot of thought to it. And he came up with some different conclusion than he had going in. I'm thinking, but no evidence was introduced in that entire thought process. It was just you ruminating about it. Um, and and that, we, we do this too much in racing in particular. Uh, D. Wayne Lucas, a very famous trainer, really big in the 80s, proposed that the derby should be cut from a mile and a quarter to nine furlongs. Like, this is a travesty. And to me, it's the history of the sport that's really the most interesting. And it's also why I gravitate to these older seasons. When they add handicap races, they don't have handicap races anymore. At last, not meaningful ones. You'll get a horse top weight 120, next horse is 119. You know, at Forgo and Kelso used to carry 132 pounds, 136 pounds. They'd be given 20 pounds to the lowest weighted horse. That to me was a, a more interesting sport. Yeah. But. I, I tend to agree with you, and you're right. There was, you know, and I don't know if it was just because of, like, my age or, you know, the way it was covered, but, yeah, there does definitely felt like something magical about uh, the 80s and horse racing, um, you know, and I was probably too young to, you know, I was definitely too young to appreciate the 70s, so um, I'm a couple years younger than you, so, like, you know, uh, the 80s was really when I was really getting into the sport. And, you know, and it was that triple crown chase. Like, every year it felt like we were close. We were close. And just oh yeah, 
couldn't get it, you know? So like that, that played into it quite a bit as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, ignorance is bliss. Uh, I remember when I, when I first bought the Appa game, I truly thought those card ratings were absolutely represented reality and that the, by some magic, they had perfectly rated these cards. And then at some point I recognized the times were too fast and I actually wrote into Appa. Uh, All right. They told me they were very concerned about what I said, but they could find no issues. And then years later, I think I, I'm guessing you didn't look. <laughs> <laughs> very good. All right, Eric. Appreciate your time. Um, any final thoughts on horse racing in general? It sounds like you know. I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with with some of these historic seasons. I you know and. And maybe if anybody's listening who has an interest, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll we'll figure out how they can get in touch with you. But um, yeah, if anyone if anyone wants to help out, I will give them free printed versions of any season. Actually, I'll give them pre printed versions of any seasons I've got um, because it's it is a it's a very thankless job. But when it's all done, it's uh it's really really cool and 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 quite honestly all that extra stuff is is very useful when you're trying to run a replay um that's right but all right thank you thanks for your time eric appreciate it uh thank you very much i love your podcast i'm glad i could be a small part of it all right thanks again and uh we'll talk soon sounds good all right let's see All right, that's a wrap on today's episode, and I hope you enjoyed the interview with Eric Simon talking about off-the-board horse racing. Again, if you're looking for the game, head on over to the Sports Sim Magazine site, uh, download a couple of copies even of the magazine. He's published uh, at least a couple seasons in the magazine. Uh, all the rules have been available there, and... You know, it's a fun little game to be able to play. And like I said in the episode, uh, get you away from a lot of the math that's that's typically included in horse racing games. So it, it, it simplifies it from that standpoint. Let's see. Uh, a reminder again, um, another 30 minutes roughly uh, post-interview chat with Eric is available on my Patreon patreon.com site so head on over there for that if you would like to become a subscriber if you have any questions topic ideas or just want to talk to me about your latest project uh, send me an email at tabletopsportcast.gmail.com and to check out the latest for my tabletop head on over to facebook.com backslash tabletopsportcast alright next week uh, we're going to dip back into the agile methodology kind of gave a preview of this already last week but we're going to talk about putting attention to technical excellence and figure out how can that be applied to our tabletop projects so that is coming up next week until then thank you for listening